0: Proverbs 29, two more sermons after today. In practical wisdom, this is God's mercy to us that he gives us here. Very clear and uh, obvious ways to make our life better as we obey him. God's children want to have a good life. This is how you do it. You glorify the Lord in these ways. The word of the Lord. Proverbs 29, he who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. By justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their own downfall. Discipline your son. And he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. A man of wrath stirs up strife. The one given to anger causes much transgression. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse but discloses nothing. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. But one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. Let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Oh God, we ask that you would speak and that we would hear. You've done so already in the reading of your scriptures. May now it be done in the preaching. May we have light from heaven to see your word and understand it. May we have life from heaven to believe it and obey. Oh God, give help, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to be a big week for our community. I guess starting today and kind of going through the week, we're actually probably, I would imagine, be surprised if we weren't in some way, going to be in the national spotlight. As this afternoon, I think, right, I haven't really paid attention to sports that closely, but the Panthers are going to play. And If I remember correctly, I think the Panthers are the only team in the NFL right now that actively has players that are kneeling in the national anthem. Protesting the justice, or lack thereof in our culture, protesting the way that certain categories of humans are being treated in our land, overcome with concern, they're kneeling out of their conviction. And coupled with, if I understand correctly, and I could be wrong on this, but we have our president coming to Charlotte on Friday, announcing a surprise trip. will be at Bojangles Arena this Friday evening, and we will be in the national news. I imagine as part of that, we're going to have a conversation nationally about justice and what that looks like, and certainly locally as the president shows up. What about these people that are coming from Central and South America, walking all the way, trying to walk through Mexico to get here? What does justice look like? What about the plight of the African American in our country? What does justice look like? Oh, no, our president is renegotiating the nuclear treaty with Russia. What does justice look like? You can pick up one reoccurring theme already in the introduction is our community and in fact our nation this week in some form or fashion is going to be occupied with a conversation about justice. We want justice as a nation. Our nation in some way believes in some form or fashion that life is better in a nation that is marked with justice. And you know what? As a starting point, that's actually not wrong. Proverbs 29 is the chapter of Proverbs that speaks about justice more than any other chapter in the book. This is the chapter about national justice justice. And you get to see this has many verses that talk about it, many things that we're going to look first at, just the blessing that justice is to the land. Look at verse two. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan, there's a, a sense that the proverb here is, portraying that when there is wickedness in places of power in the land, there's a groaning, there's a, a disturbance, there's a disagreement, there's an unpleasantness that comes in the land. I remember one of my seminary buddies, uh, almost a- <laughs> he almost got arrested and extradited in the middle of his seminary career. It was fantastic. He was uh, from a West African country. And uh, he was driving uh, over on Arrowwood area where we lived, which is a really, at the time, not a part of town that is maybe the best part to be driving through at the time. And uh, he, he had a policeman get behind him and flash his lights. And so my friend continued driving. And the policeman rode behind him and flashed his lights. And my friend continued driving. And the policeman hit his siren. And my friend continued driving And I think that was about the point where the seven other policemen showed up. (laughs) And he gets pulled, and he's charged with, uh, I think, running a stop sign and evading arrest, which is, like, classically comical. And when he starts talking with the cops, they're like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, you don't understand. There's two types of cops in the country that I come from. There are the ridiculously corrupt local cops who follow us the same way you just did, and there are the even more ridiculously corrupt national cops who tend to follow the ridiculously corrupt local cops the way that you just did. But in my country, the least safe thing you can do is stop for the police. You'll notice I didn't speed. I didn't drive away like a hooligan. I followed the speed limit to very well-populated places Because in my country, the last thing you can do for safety is pull over for the police. They did not like his answer, though it was a good one, (laughs) and actually had to have legal help to keep him from getting extradited in the middle of his seminary career. This is the one who actually had watched his favorite uncle who had raised him be uh, murdered in front of him when he was nine years old for his faith. There's a sense in which when we have righteousness in the lane when we have a sense of justice we we intuitively get like it's a good thing. And our country is so wonderful and so great and so grand that many of us most of us lots of us are not filled with that sense of groaning the same way. Now those that have to deal with the you know York County zoning board or whatever that might be a different story. <laughs> Verse 4 explains this relationship with, by justice, a king builds up the land. It's through just and righteousness, righteous actions that the land gets built up. It, It benefits. It flourishes. I think it's interesting. If you study world history, every place that the church has gone, prosperity has followed. Like everywhere the church has really aggressively gone, become the majority position. Uh, prosperity is followed because there's a sense in which justice is effective at building up the land. But usury, lack of this fairness of justice or such, it tears the land down, it destroys it. it, it the corruption takes over. Verse 7 highlights this in the different categories of people with the poor and the unpoor of understanding the consequences of who people are and how they operate. Verse 12, then you get to see, boy, this is an interesting one over the last decade in our country. Pick whichever president you want. Pick whichever cabinet you want. I don't care. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. Justice, righteousness, holiness, goodness... Are good for the land. Verse 14: If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. You see, our country is in the middle of this conversation about justice, and it's particularly difficult right now as our political situation has become increasingly polarized has become increasingly us versus them and the conversation is now about the national anthem or whether or not uh, certain artists that weren't invited would actually perform at the Super Bowl even though they weren't invited and all other sorts of conversations about national justice and what I'm saying is the starting point is correct the land prospers when there is justice and leadership. The problem with the American conversation is that the goal is incorrect. It's starting from the right point. It's starting from the idea that righteousness and justice benefits the land. That is correct. That's a good and great starting place. But the target is the wrong. Target Because it misses verse 26. This is the key to understanding national justice. This is the key to understanding what righteousness and leadership looks like. This is the key to understanding all concepts of what human justice must be. Many seek the face of a ruler. Just paraphrase that in modern you know, America today, you can't count the number of lobbyists. Right? That, that's your paraphrase. You can't count the number of lobbyists. You can't count the number of people that are trying to put political pressure, that are trying to arm twist, that are trying to blackmail, that are trying to leverage, that are trying to maneuver the leaders into the, the position of justice that they believe to be the right one. I love watching, I mean, I have a weird sense of humor, I right know, but I love watching how the politicians scramble when NAMBLA shows up and starts giving donations. You know NAMBLA? That's the, um, the, the actual institution that's fighting for like, pederasty and pedophilia. And they, one of their tactics for how to get this increasingly more common in our country is they give massive donations to different politicians to see which politician is going to be dumb enough to actually accept the money. It's hysterical watching like the scrambling and trying to get away from it. Yeah, you may not know about Nambla. It's been around. It's been a long time. It's actually very, very popular and very well funded. Go read about that this afternoon. Have a good afternoon. <laughs> Many seek the face of a ruler. Many are trying to leverage the king, leverage the president, leverage the governor, leverage the mayor, leverage whatever into their position. But... Where is justice found? Is it found at the hand of the king? Is it found in the hand of Congress? Is it found in the hand of the governor, in the hand of the mayor, the town council? No. It is from the Lord that a man gets justice. You see, this is actually the part of the conversation that our nation is missing so terribly. You know what? Yes, we are this side of heaven. There is injustice. Granted, there's one billionth as much injustice here as there are in many other parts of the world. But the solution to it can't be found in a president. The solution to it can't be found in a Congress. You can't fully legislate this. The solution is found in the Lord. You see, this is what our country is missing is we have protests of various kinds constantly. Again, the one that's made me laugh this week was one of the famous celebrities protesting how she would not perform at a Super Bowl that she was not invited to perform at. That one just, I, I got so many giggles out of that one. Well, I refuse to uh, appear at it as well. It'll be okay. But it's a constant looking for human solutions as opposed to an emphasis on bowing the knee before the maker of heaven and earth. It's an emphasis on what I feel, the justice that needs to be done. I've been wrong. Here's my solution. Instead of saying, look, the God who made heaven and earth, the God who is always holy, the God who is always wrathful against... Evil, the God who will fully and perfectly destroy wickedness. He has been patient so far and never mistake his patience for inactivity. My hope is in the Lord who made heaven and earth and nowhere else. You see, this is a tremendous danger, and it's not just confined to the nature of justice itself. It's really a reflection of the human condition on how we like to solve problems. We look at a problem, we evaluate it by our own value set, and then we try to manifest our solution at all costs. Instead of again bowing the knee. Let the Lord be the one who judges. Let the Lord be the one who enacts justice. And when we obey him, when we, our holy justice will follow. Again, it's look at the benefits of where the church has gone. Joy and beauty have followed. Not perfectly, certainly. There's all kinds of failures the church has had. Now, there's two different ways that we can actively do this. There's two different ways in which we can actively participate in this justice of God. And I don't mean that by going out and destroying the wicked. Please never do that. That's God's job, not yours. It's the part of Romans 12 we did not get to at the end. Vengeance is the Lord, not yours. But we can actually work to cultivate justice first and foremost in the home. It is interesting that the chapter that deals with justice so clearly has a lot of parenting advice. Because so much of injustice is actually the product of poor parenting in the home. We as God's children, if we want to promote this national welfare, if we want to teach people to bow the knee before the Lord, if we want to promote a healthy culture and community in so much as we can, we must work to cultivate holiness, obedience, righteousness, and justice in the home. We've seen this many ways. Verse 3 is almost an exact quote from a previous chapter. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Look, if you are wise, you make your parents happy. You do evil, it has negative consequences. It's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. Okay, we got that one. That's the easy one. I get this. Mom and dad are on board with that. Look, the kids obey, life's better. Woo! I like this. This It's my favorite part of the Bible. Until you get to verse 15. And it teaches the mechanism for how wisdom is to be arrived at in the home. (laughs) It's arrived at through the rod and reproof. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And I, I actually do have to make a comment on this one. Some of you know this, some of you don't. I was an education scholar in college. That's my minor. I've had to do for my PhD much study in the field of education. And the entire American educational system rests on this verse being reversed. That a child left to himself results in good and great and grand things. So John Dewey believed with all of his heart, Dewey is one of the fathers of the American educational system. They believe that if you just let the child, let them follow their interests, let them flourish, they will be fine. And it misses the biblical understanding that a child left to himself only finds the path of disaster. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Now some of us, we think, well, okay, I I mean, I, I discipline the kids. I talk with them all the time. And this is where it gets really uncomfortable. Verse 19. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. Now, I'm certainly not going to argue that you have to use the rod. I'm not going to argue that you have to have a spanking cane in your house. I'm not going to suggest that that's a good idea ever. But I am going to suggest that if discipline only looks like having a conversation with the children where they have the privilege of walking out with hurt feelings and nothing else, it's not done correctly. Discipline must have teeth. You think, Michael, that's really harsh. I mean, how how hateful are you? And I'm going to ask you just, just pause for a second and just time out and think for a second. God has given you all of the words that you need for discipline, and how well have you listened? Thank you. (laughs) You know, He's had to use the rod on you. He does it all the time. It's been my week this week. Me. We're slow to listen sometimes, and it's important that discipline have teeth so it hurts. It's what provides the motivation to change. I really don't like this. It's time to think of something different. (coughs) Verse 21, ESV acknowledges there's a little bit of a punt at the end of this, and I'm using the old uh, update of the ESV, not the new one. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him. His heir is their best That's That's not actually the right go on that. It's, they're going to find him useless. <laughs> Pampering produces catastrophe, not success. Discipline is the path of success. You, you actually, when you think about this, it makes sense. If we're, we're looking for a sense of holiness, justice, rightness, righteousness, goodness, and truth, those things don't feel good when we start them. Particularly if we're in the ones that are in the positions of power or the ones in the positions of goodness or the ones that are in the positions of blessing. I don't want to actually give up my position of advantage. If I've crushed you competitively, I don't want to then take care of you. I want to win. But instead, God has designed the home to be one that is an illustration of discipline. It's how he treats us. It's how he showcases his love for us. you think, wow, that's, that's tough. The part of God's mercy, part of his design for this goodness and grandness of the land is for me to cultivate discipline in the home, for me to instruct my children in such a way, for me to sometimes actually even make their life so uncomfortable they don't enjoy it. And you know what? There's honestly a real danger there that the kids go, well, you don't do that yourself. And you go, well, that's actually the rest of the chapter. <laughs> God's design is for this discipline this to be cultivated in the home but even more so to be cultivated in the self He who is all, verse 1 he who is often reproved but yet stiffens his neck Now, this has been an intensification of what's been happening over and over and over and over. The Spirit of God has been saying in this book, look, if you're slow to listen, if you're slow to listen, if you're slow to listen, you're a fool. And now it's taken one step further to say, look, if you stiffen your neck, it's only a matter of time till God breaks your neck. You must be responsible to cultivate ears that are active in listening to the Lord's rebuke. Verse 11. I was texting Alan about verse 11 this week and he laughed and was like, well, that's a bit inconvenient. The Lord obviously is not subtle with his discipline for you this week. I said, no, he's not. And he's like, he must love you very much if you have to preach this after the week you've had. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Now, we actually, weirdly enough, even use the same term, don't we? Venting. Venting. Or sometimes we we don't like the circumstances around us, the situation around us, and we feel like in order to to, to be okay, in order to process, in order to to be right, we have to vent. And so we pour out the poison. Not just from our own hearts, but then to someone else's. Rather than being self-controlled, which I'm pretty sure is a fruit of the Spirit, showing discipline over even our insides and even disciplining our own feelings. You see, that's actually the the solution here. A fool is going to take their mouth and just let it run, let the gums flap, let all of the poison pour out, let it just spread like a cancer. Whereas the wise woman or man will exercise the spirit's control even over how they feel. And certainly this is not, and don't hear me say this wrongly, this is not to create marriages where you can't have conversations about hard things or how you feel. This is not to create a church where you can't have hard conversations about how you feel. This is not to create a community or a country where you can't have hard conversations about how you feel. This is rather to say that how you feel must be subjected to your theology so that you learn control over it so the conversation can be constructive and not poisonous. 20, 22, and 23. 20 20 is very similar. You see a man who's hasty in his words, there's more hope for a fool than for him. Again, not disciplined over his mouth. 22, again, not disciplined over his mouth or his temper, his insides, a man of wrath. What happens with his wrath? It stirs up strife one given to anger causes much transgression. The lack of control of anger causes sin in the person who's angry and in the people around them. It's a cancer that spreads. 23, one's pride, the same thing, this lack of The spirit's control inside the mind and the heart of the saint. One's pride will bring him low. Instead, the one who's lowly in spirit will obtain honor. You see, the parenting challenge here, the home challenge is hard. I'm not going to lie it's difficult to make sure that you're disciplining your children correctly so that they don't go the ways that they want to go so that you force them into the paths so that they are being conformed to the image of the parenting and not transforming the parenting to use this morning's language but the challenge for the self is much greater So that if we are to be godly and righteous and holy people, if we are to cultivate lives that we can say are pure and not hypocritical, it means that this spirit's control is to come inside and to gauge and filter and correct and retrain all of our emotions, our desires, the economy of our soul. And friends, this is where it's important that we have a, a healthy and robust understanding of what happens in salvation. You see, as we describe salvation so often in the American church, we describe it with, with a bit of looseness in terms. We say, "I got saved," or I, "I was," you know, "I converted." Blah 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 blah. And we we lose the word that we most often actually see we use in the scriptures and used in kind of ancient theology, which is regeneration. I was dead. And I was made alive. I was made new. I was made differently than how I was. And all of that old is gone and all of that new is here. And I am now alive and I have the spirit of God residing in me. Because when Proverbs 29 here is written out and you hear about this self-control, it's designed for one of two tasks to highlight. Look, if you try this in your own merit, in your own ability, your own strength, you will fail. And you'll find yourself longing for justice in a human king. You'll long yourself looking, you'll find yourself longing at the next presidential election, longing for the man, whichever side you're on again, I don't care, longing for the, the king of justice to show up. And missing the second coming in that sense. Because your insides won't have that right ordering, that right structuring. But if you are a child of God, instead we actually have this ability through the Spirit's power to actually really genuinely be successful at these things. Some of us need to learn these. We need to learn to stop giving full vent to our spirit. Some of us need to learn to conquer the wrath that stirs up strife. Some of us need to learn to consider the, the rights, the privileges of others instead of ourselves. And by the Spirit of God, you can do that. Here, this is not a, a message of condemnation for God's people. This instead is a challenge to victory. You have the Holy Spirit of God residing within you. You can do this by God's power. I mean, this is the one who Jesus raised from the dead, ascended into glory. He's now called you to be obedient and given you the spirit of his beloved son. You can be successful in holiness. Now, may it be that this portion of God's body right here at the Christ Ridge Presbyterian Church, may it be that we cultivate a sense of justice and righteousness and goodness and holiness and obedience and love that begins with self-control with ourselves, manifests itself in godly discipline in the home, and then works its way out in gracious generosity to one another so that when people walk in those doors, if they do not know the Lord Jesus, oh my goodness, this place would look different to them that the conversation that our cultures having and countries having in in many cases quite poorly would be something different here a message of hope and a message of peace let's pray lord we bless your name you have poured out your blessing upon us forgive us for our sins we have a lot of them particularly in this area we thank you for the forgiveness that we may Find in Jesus and rest in that. Help us, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen.